Namo tassa bhagavato arahato asamma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato asamma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato asamma sambuddhasa Buddhang dhammang sanghang namasami like to um, ask permission from Machan Punyo and thank you for a very nice long warm introduction and um, yeah so I was asked by um, Paul Munindo just to give a reflection I suppose today on the uh, Saturday public talks um, yeah, but before we get to that, I'm just going to express uh, my appreciation for, yeah, first time in um, in England as a monk, just basically having a look around, just to uh, try to learn, I guess, from uh, the different monasteries around. Being a young abbot, I think it's always good to uh, to have a look, to see how different monasteries approach the training, how different monasteries are set up, and uh, the nice things about being a young member is that you know you can uh, learn from your elders. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, there's uh, many monasteries here that's been around for the last 25, 30 years, and uh, you know as they grow and mature, mistakes were made, things were done, and uh, I think just you know uh, I'm hoping anyway, just by Spending a week in each monastery, talking to the senior monks, that uh, uh, you know, I can learn some of the uh, how things are done here, and hopefully to bring that back to Australia, and uh, and hopefully that will help me to uh, incorporate some of the, uh, the the practices here to uh, to have a better monastery, a better place for people to come and train. Um, the thing that came to mind when Chimunindo uh, asked uh, to give a talk was, um, I mean, it's something about practice. And the thing was that was the uh, to approach practice or to approach uh, life from a perspective that you know a lot of times we do things in life is that we want to be happy. I always remember when I was young, you know, they tell me, you know, you go to school, you get good grades. After you get good grades, you get a good job. After that, you can uh, uh, have a decent wage. And then you can buy a nice house, have a good life, and then you'll be happy. Right? You have to do everything, and the happiness comes at the end. You're always waiting for the next step, always you know, preparing for exams so that I can be happy later on. So if you put in the work now, happiness comes at the end. And then you come to... Uh, uh, being a monk, the practice. They tell you the same thing. You have to, you know, first learn the rules, practice your chanting, do all the cleaning up, clean the toilet, look after the senior monks, and then you can practice meditation. You may have to go many years. Maybe you get some your um, some deep meditation. You become enlightened. Then you'll be happy. <laughs> Happiness comes at the end again. But I think um, that could be a bit of a trap. 
And then because we do all these things, you know, we do all these ascetic, ascetic practices. So that we're hopingly, you know, that we get the, uh, the happiness that comes from, uh, by getting the results. But a lot of times it's good just to kind of turn the perspective around a little bit and actually put the happiness in the beginning. That put the happiness, you know, along the way and not wait to, uh, to get to the end. And then you become happy. Wait till when you can become fully enlightened, you're happy. Or wait when you get your jhanas, then you're happy. But actually put the happiness in everything you do from the beginning. And really to find joy, to, to delight in you know, servicing, you know, giving to the sangha, to find joy and delight in being with your fellow monastics, to find, you know, and, and to be just, you know, to look for happiness in the little things in the daily life. Happiness and just being in a, you know, a good environment, being around people would you know have good intentions, harmlessness to delight in the fact that you know we are living a life, not harming ourselves, and not harming others, and kind of see uh, the uh, the joy in that, the sort of joy. Because a lot of time we're always you know we, we are by nature creatures that look for happiness. And we don't get it in our practice. We'll start to look for out in, this, in the world. The happiness of food, happiness of entertainment, or the happiness you know, of relationship or achievements. And, those, and there are happiness in those. But the only pitfall is that they, uh, they don't last. And so hopefully as we become you know, kind of uh, looking to train the mind, become a monastic, it's important. Because sometimes I think we get the impression that, you know, you're a Buddhist now. You shouldn't be uh, happy. You should be equanimous and everything. And that's not exactly true. I mean, there's, you know, Buddha talks about happiness and that, that there are different levels of happiness that could be had. And the, uh, the more kind of um, the everyday happiness of sense pleasure does not last. But the happiness of a harmless life, happiness of... Um, the happiness that comes from being of service to others, happiness of being like you know being generous, being kind to others, happiness of giving people the benefit of the doubt. Those happiness is something that we can delight in because they lead us to to peace. They bring peace and harmony to the world around us. And also, I think you know those happiness once we. We learn to look for it. We learn to appreciate them. They start to form a foundation for meditation. And then once we kind of, you know, enjoy, bring a joy and happiness in, in when we practice you know, each sitting. We may not be hitting you know, the deeper jhanas, but at least we're sitting. We're still looking for happiness of, you know, because, you know, the enjoyment of the in-breath or the out-breath. And once, you know, it is all about the training of the mind, whatever we focus on, that grows. So we focus on the moments of happiness that we get from meditation. Then that begins to grow over time. And it begins to deepen our practice. And then so, whether we get the deep meditation 
we get the deep insight to know it doesn't matter because we're enjoying each and every moment. We're enjoying each and every day. So, um, and with anything, you know, practice this is something that um, we should, you know, play around with, experiment. To always bring a sense of kind of engagement to a practice. And the practice is more of a, a, a lifestyle. It's just not a technique. You know, focus on the breathing. Or to focus on the body, awareness, or to focus on a mantra. But to look at practice as kind of a way of life. That's, you know, that's this kind of um, taking responsibility for our actions. Of training the mind towards you know, wholesome states. And of looking, if we see that we have unwholesome states, then we try to be kind of let go of those states to incline the mind towards, you know, more uh, thoughts of kindness, thoughts of generosity, thoughts of gentleness. And then over time, those kind of wholesomeness grows. It empowers our practice. Because sometimes, you know, we... Uh, we get the impression that you know, we, we, uh, restraint is good, but sometimes that can be turned to a thing that you know that we uh, we kind of uh, are skeptical or we're afraid of feeling happiness of, of kind of enjoying things. And uh, like I said, being from the forest tradition, well, we looked at as a bit of a fundamentalist, and we are fundamental, but emphasis on fun. And we look things, you know, bring fun into our practice and our joy. To really kind of delight in, in being a monk. Delight in practicing your meditation. Delight in, you know, being a generous person. Being a patient person. Being a kind person. So I always kind of bring a sense of ease. A sense of lightness to, uh, to our practice. And um, otherwise, you know, it could be, you know, with anything. You know, we've got enough responsibility. We've got enough kind of uh, things to do already. So we shouldn't make meditation or practice. It's another chore that you have to grind through. Because life itself can be a bit of a grind. With kind of responsibilities, work, family, relationships, or whatever. But... Uh, so when it comes to meditation, you know, it's time to kind of to enjoy. Because when anything, the mind, when it enjoys something, it does it automatically. You don't have to force yourself. So you know, if you think, you know, you kind of, when you think of meditation, and you find that you kind of have to, um, the mind's going to want to always kind of find excuse, want to do something else. Then you kind of have another look. You know, how are you approaching? The practice. How are you approaching meditation? Is there an, another item on your long list of things that you have to grind through that to the day, or do you really kind of look forward to doing it? Literally, kind of uh, the mind jumps when you uh, think, "Oh, it's meditation time. It's great. It's time to relax. It's time to. It's like a coffee break. It's time to be in the moment. To enjoy." present moment. I always bring a sense of, you know, yeah, yeah. It's great when you sit down. You don't have to be answering the phone. You don't have to talk to people. You don't have to run around. You don't have to cook, clean. 
do the garden. It's just you're meditating, you're sitting, relaxing, enjoying being the present moment. And things, you know, and the the breath comes easier. Awareness comes because you're enjoying doing things. Natural. The mind is here. You don't have to force it to be here. You don't have to kind of push away thoughts of the past or yearnings for the future. Because the mind is relaxed, is at ease. It stays where it is. And that's the thing. about you know, we, we all want peace. But kind of yearning, managing, striving to get it sometimes bring more attention. A lot of time, you know, peace, stillness is more of comes from letting go of being with things, allowing things to settle down organically, settle down gently on its own time. And that comes if we're we're delighting in it. It comes when we're at peace. And same with the breath. The breath will stay. If the mind is happy, the mind is at peace. And then the mind, you know, and then things become calm by themselves. We don't have to get too involved in the process of meditation. What we need to do is just kind of bring some, some ease, some happiness into the mind. And everything else takes care of itself. I remember was um, yeah, it was kind of um, um, being trained in Thailand. And sometimes it's true, you know. The um, you hear lots of stories about the um, the meditation masters, and who uh, you know, for different kind of uh, qualities that they have, they do a lot of formal practice. You know, sit and walk, sit, walk, sit, walk. So you get inspiring because you see these great monks. And they're very inspiring. They're very happy, very peaceful. And uh, but then you have this idea that yeah, you know, you should uh, kind of whatever's happening, just you know, put forth effort, just grind through, power through any kind of doubts you have, and just kind of rouse energy. But then you know, with anything, you you approach this practice from a kind of an idealistic kind of framework of um, saying, oh, you know, I can all oh, these meditation master meditate, I don't know, 10, 15 hours a day or whatever. So I should do the same. You want to be, you know, kind of enlightened, you should have to do the same thing. But not knowing that, you know, yeah, of course they can sit for six hours or whatever without moving. And they can walk for, you know, three or four hours or whatever each time they do walking meditation, they can do that. But then the more I talk to them, the more I realize that, yes, of course they did these things. But they didn't do it from a sense of, you know, from willpower. They did it. The reason they sat so long was the mind was peaceful. The mind was bliss. They said, you know, every time they got on the walking path, you know, they just walk, walk, you know, walk to one end, walk back to the other, walk forwards and backwards. And before they knew it, you know, they started maybe walking at nine o'clock after the meal. And before he knew it, it was like three o'clock already. He was having so much fun. He didn't realize how quickly the time passed. And then it's the same with sitting. They say, you know, some, some days, you know, we sit and you get into really peaceful states of mind. And uh, he thought he would just look at the clock and when he finished. He thought maybe he said, you know, I think it was from 6 o'clock to, um, 
It looked like it's seven o'clock or something. But actually, it was um, seven hours later or something ridiculous. Because the mind was happy, so it stayed still. So these things, you know, these things happened because the mind was happy. And once the mind's happy, it stays where it is, becomes more peaceful. So it's easier to kind of meditate. So I thought, um, yeah, the, uh, one of the things that came to mind was uh, as we approach our practice you know, as lay practitioners or as monks in the monastery, was to, uh, the challenge was to uh, find different ways, find happiness in the little ways in our own lives, at home or in life in the monasteries, to, you know, to bring to it, you know, see the happiness of being a virtuous person, of being harmless, see the happiness of giving, of being of service to others, see the happiness of giving up negative states of mind, or, you know, just see the joy of stillness, of non-doing, joy of letting go. And then as that happens, as we, our minds inclines towards, you know, happiness and peace, then you'll find, hopefully, that empowers your meditation. Hopefully that it will enable the mind to be more peaceful, to stay in the present moment, just to be with things and allow the meditation to develop on its own through happiness and contentment, not through willpower and craving or pushing. So, um, that's a little reflection I, I offer you on this Saturday evening. <laughs>